folks here on this Good Friday, the table is set before us. And so in preparation for coming and celebrating the bread and the cup, I want us to, to meditate on a passage from Matthew just for a few minutes. This is Matthew's account of that very first supper over 2,000 years ago. And let's use it to prepare our hearts this evening. I'm going to be reading selected verses from Matthew 26. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered him, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. And while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Then all the disciples left him and fled. It's the last night of Jesus' life in that upper room. And if we could just put ourselves, locate ourselves there just for a moment, I think we would realize that there is both tension and anticipation among the 12. Tension because they knew some sort of confrontation was coming. The previous week in Jerusalem, Jesus had had his sharpest disagreements, his sharpest debates, his most stinging words with the religious leaders. The religious leaders were so threatened by the popularity of Jesus that they were even at that moment plotting to have Jesus killed. So the disciples, they may not have known when and how and where, but they, they felt a confrontation was coming. They were waiting for the shoe to drop, and that room was full of tension. But that room was also full of anticipation. Not merely four days before, Jesus had come in to Jerusalem, the triumphant king, riding on a donkey with the hallelujahs and the praises from the people. All Jerusalem, remember, was ablaze with the news that Jesus had actually raised a man from the dead. Surely this was the Messiah. Surely this was the time. Surely this was when Jesus was going to establish his kingdom. In fact, the disciples were so sure that this moment was upon them, the other gospel writers tell us that they were having an argument right before this meal. 
as they were waiting for the food to be served, they got into a disagreement about who was the greatest among them. Who was going to serve in the highest positions of King Jesus's administration? They were his loyal entourage, his administration, and they had bitten their time, and now was the moment. So there was tension, there was anticipation, and then the meal. They're celebrating the Passover meal, and as part of that meal, Jesus takes, as we see here, the, the bread and the wine. And the disciples probably don't really understand at this point what he's saying about his body and his blood, but the one thing they absolutely would have understood was that when Jesus goes on to say that they would not celebrate this meal together until they were all together in the kingdom. For them, that, that was super clear. Once Jesus established his kingdom, once he conquered his political foes, the Romans, once he established his throne and they had taken their place, of course they would celebrate together. They would feast and they would eat and they would toast and they would drink the wine of great victory. Just imagine two soldiers who are going off to fight in a great battle and they have a drink at the local pub the night before and they promise each other when we see each other again after we're victorious we'll meet right back here and celebrate again this is what they believe Jesus was telling them but Jesus said there there's something is afoot before any of this can happen Jesus warns them of an imminent threat he says, someone is going to betray Jesus. Someone is going to betray the cause. And of course, all the disciples are adamant that it will not be them, Simon Peter, most of all. They make their resolutions and then they finish the meal and head to the garden. Fast forward an hour. They are in the garden of Gethsemane when an entourage of soldiers and the high priests and servants show up threatening to take Jesus by force, now they are sure, they are certain this is the moment. Peter is so sure this is the moment when Jesus is going to establish his kingdom, he draws his sword, cuts off the ear of the servant of the high priest. He hears Jesus mention the fact that if he wanted to, he could call down angels this is the moment they have been waiting for. But you know the rest of the story. There is no victory. There is no celebration. There is no feast. Jesus is arrested. And the disciples do the only thing they know to do. They run. They run for their lives. And it's not merely because a fear of physical reprisal that they run. They, they run because they are brokenhearted. They run because they have felt profound shame. They, they run because all of their dreams have gone up in smoke and all of a sudden that evening meal that began with so much promise 
becomes this bitter, bitter memory. Now, I don't know how long it took the disciples before they began to understand what exactly had happened around that table hours before. Maybe it was sometime after the resurrection. Or maybe during one of Jesus' appearances during those 40 days. Maybe it was when they were commissioned and Jesus ascended. Maybe it was at Pentecost. I don't know. But slowly but surely, they would have begun to look at that last meal differently. And what was such a bitter, bitter disappointment for them would have been such a great encouragement and hope in in, in three ways, and I'll mention these briefly. First, they would have realized that Jesus, when he promised this celebration of eating and drinking, he wasn't pointing to a a political victory where they were going to take control of Israel. Jesus was pointing to the new kingdom. Jesus was pointing to the new eschaton when he would come and to establish and make everything right. But secondly, they also would have realized that this kingdom was not possible without Jesus first conquering sin and death. Before a physical political kingdom could be established, a spiritual kingdom in the hearts of men and women had to take place. Jesus had to go and die on a cross as a sacrifice for sins. And it would have begun to dawn on them that they were part of those people. That their very shame, embarrassment, betrayal was one of the reasons Jesus had to die. But thirdly, I I think this last meal with Jesus would come to have an incredibly profound spiritual and personal significance to them. See, they had betrayed their master and their king. They had made some big promises. But that meal had been a a source of incredible shame. And and they would remember the haunting, kind of like our former sins and betrayals haunt us, right? And then they would remember this one thing. Jesus that night did not wait around to see how they would perform in the moment of crisis before deciding to make a covenant with them. Jesus went first. Grace preceded their sin. Jesus says, not only might you fall and betray, I I know you're going to fall and betray me. And in light of that, I don't do this in spite of it, but because of it. So I'm laying down my body. I'm shedding my blood. You see, because grace, the meal, had to come before their sin. And while they were yet sinners, Christ died for them. Church, do you see why preaching and the Lord's table, the celebration of the Lord's Supper, became the centerpiece for Christian worship for 2,000 years. 
I, I, I imagine that for the disciples, every time they celebrated that meal, they would remember that night. They would remember their betrayal. They would remember their sin. They would remember their brokenness. But then I think it would quickly give way to the reality that God's grace was greater than all of their sin. And as we celebrate the Lord's Supper tonight, we want to keep two things in mind. One, this is the greatest of exchanges. It's what Paul calls or mentions or refers to as, as Jesus who knew no sin became sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Those We took his righteousness, he took our sin. But we will also, as we're celebrating this Lord's Supper, placing ourselves in the apostles' place, knowing that over time our, our sins, they, they linger and they, they're a memory and they haunt us just like they did the disciples, but to be quickly displaced with the magnificence of God's grace. Folks, we know that in and of themselves, in these bread, these wine, these elements, there, there's, no, there's no actual power. They're just bread, they're just wine. But just like the disciples, they are meant to be an incredible source of encouragement to us every time we take them. We are to, to identify them with what Jesus has done for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I can imagine the disciples as they ministered over the years, anytime they grew weary, anytime they, they grew faint, they would say, let's, let's celebrate the Lord's table together. Let's remind ourselves of who Christ is and what he's done for us. And that's what we're going to do tonight. And so I'm going to ask you just to bow your heads and to silently prepare your hearts as our elders come to serve the Lord's table.